Now, for those of you that held your hands up that you've heard about Job, you've probably heard some certain things about him. Those of you that had your hands up that you've heard a sermon about Job, there might be some of you here this morning that know Job. You're like, I know that story and I know what happened. What I want us to do this morning is I want us to pretend that we've never heard that story before, just for fun, okay? Uh, I'm going to say some things this morning that probably if you've heard Job or heard it taught, you're going to kind of think, well, you're crazy. You might think, well, that's kind of nuts. And that's okay. It's okay. What I want to do this morning, what I want you to do, is I want to, uh, in a sense, I want you to have questions when you leave. That's what the whole book of Job is about, right? It asks all these questions in the beginning, and then they're never answered. Uh, there's no definite answer uh, uh, to any of these questions. So what I want you to do is, is, as you have these questions, I want you to go back. I want you to go to God. I want you to go to your own Bible and for you to look into it yourself. Even just in simple prayer of, hey, God, I don't know that I believe that. I don't know what I know about that. So God, speak to me. You know, this is kind of a side note, but anytime we teach anything, you shouldn't just believe it. I'm talking about me, Pastor, Ashley, Megan. I mean, if you're like, I don't know about that, go to your Bible and look it up, right? And don't just, you know, oh, that's a pastor. He's got to be telling the truth because that's not always the case. And I'm human. I can be wrong. I can mess up. I can, I can say stuff and get home and think, I don't, I don't even know if that's true. I'm going to look it up, you know? And, and so I want to encourage you to do that. That's what church is all about is it's about fueling you up and getting you ready to go back out into ministry and for you to look into it yourself and not just walk around and be like, oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that was true because maybe it's not. Now you're going to like second guess everything. Many books in the Bible give an author, they tell us who wrote it, and they tell us when they wrote it. Uh, the New Testament's famous for this. Paul always you know, opens, I'm Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and I write to you from prison, right? The book of Job gives none of that. It just opens up with this kind of this story uh, talking about Job. It doesn't say who wrote it, and it doesn't say when they wrote it. Uh, and I have dug deeply into trying to figure out who wrote it, and there's just many speculations. Oh, maybe this guy. Maybe this guy. Well, maybe we don't know who wrote it. Maybe a guy in his basement wrote it who lived in his mom's house. You know, there's just all these kind of crazy things. We don't know. Uh, we don't know when they wrote it. Uh, there's speculations that it was before Abraham. Now, that's getting kind of intense. And you're like, when was Abraham? Who's Abraham? That was a long, long time ago. Okay, that's before Noah, Moses, before, you know, or not Moses, but it's before Noah. It's, it's a long time ago long time ago. And I think that the author did this on purpose. I think when he wrote Job, he didn't want us distracted by who he was or his background. And he didn't want us distracted about the history of that time. He wanted to focus on the story and he wanted to focus on the questions that were being raised in this story. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read Job chapter one, the first, the whole chapter. Uh, it's about 22 verses. And then I'm going to read half of Job chapter 2. And I'm just going to read it in its entirety. And uh, it's going to be on the screen. And you can follow along with me as I read. So this is Job 1, uh, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all people in the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send... 
and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on the person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved or tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all that Job did, and all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So this is just the first chapter of Job. And this is where most people get tripped up on this book. Now, as I've studied this and I've looked into this, it's like a rabbit hole. And there's all these different rabbit holes off of this one rabbit hole. And that's the design of the book. The design of the book is to make you ask questions. It's to make you go to God. The, 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 the author wants you to say, like, I, I, this doesn't answer anything, so I have to go talk to God. I have to go in prayer. I have to go seek him out so that I can get some clarification on this. Because even in the end of the book. So Job is broken up into these. There's chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, we already see where the devil has begun to attack Job, uh, killed and destroyed everything that he has. Right? Now, most people read 1, 2, and 3, the first three chapters, and then they stop. And it's actually 42 chapters uh, in the Bible. That's how many uh, chapters are in the book of Job. Now, at the end of chapter 2, what happens is three of his friends show up, 
And they kind of sit for three days because his life is so destroyed. And they kind of sit and console him and, and, and just try to be there for him. And then they start talking. And it's this dense Hebrew poetic talk that they do between each other. Uh, you know, one person gives a speech in one chapter, then Job responds. Then another friend, then Job responds. Then another friend, then Job responds. Then that friend responds to that. It's back and forth for 38 chapters. And it is just like, it's, you know, it's crazy stuff that, you know, let my blood cry out from the dirt beneath. Let my bones be crushed to powder. It's just, it's it's hard to understand. It's hard to follow. They said when they translated it from Hebrew to English, that it was very hard to translate because a lot of the words were like so big and so educated. It'd be like reading a book and you have to have a dictionary right by you so you can look up words constantly. And so this book kind of has all these rabbit holes in all these different directions you can go. And we're going to focus on a couple of those uh, this morning. So I'm going to jump into Job chapter 2, and we're going to read half of this, and this is verse 1. It says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant, that there is none like him on the earth? Uh, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause, so Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot shred with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She's pretty encouraging. But he said to her, you speak as one of foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. That's where we're going to take a, we're going to stop. And right then, his, his, the next verses start talking about his three friends that show up. Uh, and like I've already said, there's a lot of controversy over what that's talking about. Job 1 uh, Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So according to this, we're in heaven. God is, is almost in this courtroom. He's, he's holding a, uh, a meeting, if you will, with his generals, with his top angels, talking about what they're going to be doing. Uh, as a general of war would gather his troops, gather his, you know, his generals, his lieutenants and commanders and say, okay, here's what we're doing. And it says that Satan also came among them. Now this is where every Christian, everybody on planet earth has tripped up and said, well, what in the world is Satan doing in heaven? Right? Cause Jesus said, he told his disciples, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning, right? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right? We know that the Bible says that Michael, uh, the, the archangel, told Lucifer they had war in heaven. And he, he cast him out and said, there is no room for you. He said, there is no room for you in heaven. So they cast him to the earth. Now, I don't think that, you know, uh, the angels got on the phone and said, hey, uh, Lucifer, Luce, is it all right if I call you Luce? Uh, 
we, we built onto the east wing, and so you're allowed to come back. You can bring you know, a few of your cronies, uh, and you're, you're allowed back in heaven. That didn't happen. You know, there's no back door to heaven that the devil knows about. You know, and, and he's got a key to it. And so this right here so trips everybody up. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that's all great, but how do you explain that? Satan also came among them. And we're going to dive into that. And we're going to dive into some deep stuff of, you know, trying to figure out who this is. You know, is it Satan? He's given so many names in the Bible. They call him the devil. They call him Diablo. And they call him Beelzebub. And it's like, we're trying to figure out who this is. There's only two occurrences that we see in the Old Testament of this type of story where Satan is in heaven. Now, I'm only going to call him Satan, and I'm going to do that intentionally. We see where Satan is in heaven. We see in Zechariah 3, Zechariah is a prophet. He's having these eight crazy dreams in the book of Zechariah uh, where God's speaking to him, and they're nuts. Some of them are bizarre. And as we get to the end of the eight dreams, he has this dream. And I just want to read it to you, and then I'm going to explain it. It says, then he showed me Joshua, and Zechariah is having a dream. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquities from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, they put the clothes they put clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now you may not understand that. Uh, Israel been in captivity with Babylon seventy years, they're about to come out of captivity. Okay, God's about to forgive them and release them from captivity. And Joshua is standing there who represents Israel, who represents those people. And the angel of the Lord is on one side and Satan is on the other. And in this, it talks about how Satan tells God, you can't forgive him because they have sinned against you. You can't forgive him because they've sinned against you. Now, keep in your mind that in Job and Zechariah, we have this courtroom type appearance, right? It says Satan stood at his right side to oppose him. He's like a prosecutor. Okay, in, in, in court terms. And God says, I rebuke you. I am going to forgive them. He goes on to say that their 70 years in captivity is punishment enough. And his, his old clothes represent sin. And he says, I take those off and I clothe you with new clothes. Right? What did Jesus tell us? He said, I clothe you in righteousness. This is an image and this is a view of what God does for us. Even though we didn't deserve it, even though we didn't... Uh, pay for our our punishment, our crimes, if you will. We didn't serve our time, but Jesus is going to close this anyway. And so we see this same thing where we see Satan in both of these stories. Now, what we have to do is, is you have to understand that the Bible was originally, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and then it was translated to English. Uh, In case you didn't know this, Jesus didn't speak English. Uh, and, And he was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, and then we have to go back and they translate it to our language. A lot of their words are hard to translate to English. It's hard to put words to it. Uh, that's why it's, I think it's so important to read many different translations. You know, Read the, the King James Version. It can be kind of weird, but then you can read the New Living and kind of compare and kind of say, like, okay, I get what they're trying to say here. So when we take the word Satan in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Satan is a descriptive noun. Okay, it's a descriptive noun. It's not a name. Describing any person that stands opposed to or an adversary to someone else. 
So the Hebrew word Satan is a descriptive noun. If you translate it back to how they would say it, they would say Satan. That's how they would pronounce the word. If you look in any new translation of the Bible, when you look at Job, Satan is capitalized. In the original Hebrew, it would have said the Satan. The in Hebrew was has. It would have said has Satan, which meant the Satan. So it's a noun describing any person that stands opposed to or an adversary to someone else, much like, much like a prosecutor would. A prosecutor stands opposed to or is an adversary to someone else, right? Uh, Maybe you watch cop shows uh, or like Law and Order or something like that. And you can like despise a prosecutor. You can think like, how can these people defend, you know, you know, like a a defendant, you know, how can they defend these bad guys? You know, and you can get so upset over like those, those type scenarios. And so it's kind of the same thing going on here. And he's saying, he's saying, hey, you can't, you can't forgive them. And so it's opposed to an adversary. And it goes on to say an adversary, uh, one who withstands, or superhuman adversary is what it goes on to say. Now that could be an angel. And I'm going to show you here in a minute where we see that. Now it's very important to notice that it just says opposed to or an adversary. It says a person that stands opposed to or is an adversary. It's very important to understand this because when we see Satan, when we see Lucifer, described in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, you can look back to the fall of him and what happened to him in heaven. It talks about him being pure evil, that there's nothing else in him. The Bible says he's the father of lies, that he can't do anything but lie, right? He is just this pure evil being. There's nothing else to him. And and so when you read this description of Satan and it's, it's the Satan, what it is is they're describing that, hey, this is an opponent, Okay, Satan in the New Testament is always capitalized. In the old, it, it, right here, it shouldn't be. It should be lowercase because it's a descriptive noun. Just like I wouldn't say the rusty. I would say, hey, if you need help after service, go talk to the rusty. But I could say, hey, after service, if you need help, go talk to the pastor. You can see the difference there. This isn't a name. This is an attribute of the person. Now, if we jump to the New Testament, Satan in the New Testament, and what I'm doing is I'm taking this out of Matthew 4.10. What you do is you take your Bible and you get a concordance and you can look up words and they'll give you the original uh, definition. You can just Google like concordance online and and do it through Google. And in the New Testament, uh, it says that an adversary, one who opposes another in person or an act. Sounds very familiar. The prince of evil spirits, uh, the inveterate adversary of God and Christ. Here's where it's different. The first one talked about one who opposes. In the New Testament, where Matthew 4.10, where Jesus is speaking to saying, it says an adversary of God and Christ. Okay, you and I can have a difference of opinion. We cannot agree on something, right? But I could still go hang out with you. I could still be your friend, right? We could still be acquaintances. But then for me to become your adversary, for me to become, you know, inveterate means like a habit that's never changing. I had to look that word up because I didn't know what it meant. It meant habit that's never changing. It made me think of Pinky and the Brain. Anybody remember that old cartoon with the two little white mice? And he's like, hey, Pinky, what are we going to do tonight? And he's like, the same thing we do every night. Try to take over the world, right? That's what the devil has to do. You know, the demons are like, hey, what are we doing today? The same thing we do every day. Try to take over the world, right? And, and so it's like this thing that's never changing, that he hates God, he hates Jesus. The thing you have to understand about the devil, right? The devil is that he hates you. He hates God right? He does not hang out with God, right? You wouldn't want to hang out with terrorists. You don't have ISIS over for dinner, right? That's ridiculous. 
It's the same thing we see here. And all I'm doing is breaking down these definitions. And when I did this, it was like, oh my gosh, this isn't who we think it is. And it goes on in the New Testament to say he incites apostasy from God to sin. Now, apostasy, excuse me, means to like deny your faith. He says, circumventing men by his wiles, the worshiper of idols are said to be under his control. Number four, by God's assistance, he is overcome. This is out of the, we're out of Matthew, we're in the New Testament, we're breaking down what Satan means in the New Testament. By God's assistance, he's overcome. On Christ's return from heaven, he will be found uh, with chains, it says, it means, it's supposed to say bound with chains for a thousand years. Now, now let me just clarify something. We read the book of Job and we see this Satan character that God allows to inflict pain and suffering on Job. And then what we do is we take that as, well, this is what God's going to do to us. If that's true, if that is the truth, then it's like, you know, we need to uh, duck and cover, right? What's the point of prayer? Why does God say put on the armor of God? What's the point if the bad guy's on his side, right? And, And so what I want you to see here is, and we're just focusing on this one part of the story before we jump into the rest because we have to clarify this. By God's assistance, he's overcome. Well, if God's using him, how through God's assistance am I going to overcome him? Now, I want to show you, uh, that's Matthew 4.10. I want to read this to you of where we broke down the word Satan from. It says, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone uh, you shall serve. Now, we took the word Satan and we broke down the meeting. We know that this is Satan because Jesus is in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, and it says that the devil comes to uh, tempt him. And so we know that out of Matthew 4.10, that's Satan, and that's where that description comes, that he is the enemy of God and Christ. And in the Old Testament, that's not what it says. It just says an adversary, one who withstands, a superhuman adversary, which is, is an angel. Now, you might, if you've heard this story before, you might think, like, this is crazy. This is nuts. You know, like, this is, I've never heard this preached. If you've never heard the story, you're like, that's cool. You know, no big deal. So I want to show you one more thing uh, in Numbers 22, verse 22. Now, as we jump into this verse in Numbers, just a a quick backstory. Balaam is a guy who's a prophet. Israel uh, has come out of Egypt, and they're like killing everybody in their path. They go camp next to Moab, right? You remember Moab from Ashley's message on Ruth. Moab's freaking out. They're scared. They're thinking, man, these people, we don't know who they are. They're going to kill us. We don't know who they are. They're going to kill us. And so what they they do, what the Moabites do is they say, hey, Balaam, you go out there and curse them. Because whoever you curse, you curse. Whoever you bless is blessed. So go curse them. He says, no, I'm not going to do it because God told me not to. They send the princess of Moab to his house. She spends the night. I don't know what happens. But the next morning, he's all excited and ready to go. So you can leave that to your imagination. It says, then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and two servants went with him. Now, now, now look. It says, an angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary. When you take the word adversary and translate it, it says Satan. It says, stand in the way as the Satan against him. An angel of the Lord takes on the name Satan because what it means is I oppose And if you know that story, you may not know it, but he's on a donkey and he beats the donkey. The donkey can see the angel, but Balaam can't. And he beats the donkey and every which way he goes, he stops because there's an angel with a sword in front of him, right? And he he drives, the donkey gets up against a wall and crushes Balaam's foot. 
And it says, then the donkey lays down under him. Well, then God allows the donkey to speak. And the donkey says, why, why do you whip me? And, and, and he says, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. And I'm surprised he didn't say, dude, you can talk. You know, like, well, and he says, hey, there's an angel of the Lord who stands in the way and I'm not going. And it says that he stood in the way as an adversary, the Philistines, right? Uh, you know, Goliath, those guys, they called David, King David, they called him Satan. They said, uh, David is Hasatan because he stands against us. He stands opposed to us. So what I, what I want to do is, is we see right here, two scenarios where Satan character, if you will, is in heaven with God and he opposes. I do not believe that that is the devil. That is not El Diablo. That's not Beelzebub. That is an angel. And his purpose is, is almost as a prosecutor. He, 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 or, or even like a defendant as a lawyer, he's there to oppose. He's there to see if God, you know, he questions God and, and Hey, well, you know, and he tells him, Hey, have you seen my servant Job? He says, well, yeah, he, he, he serves you because he's blessed. Who wouldn't serve you if they're blessed? You know, let's crush him and he'll curse you to his face, right? And then we see in Zechariah, we see the same thing. And he says, you can't forgive Israel. They've sinned against you. And he says, I rebuke you and I do forgive them, right? And then we see in Numbers where an angel of the Lord goes to stand against Balaam and he goes in the name. God says, I send you, you know, in, in Satan, and I know that word's kind of weird, but it's like, that's what he was saying. I send you in this to stand opposed, to stand against them. The Philistines said, David, you know, they're like, man, David's Satan. You know, you might, you might have said that before in your life. You know, my boss is Satan, loose for himself, right? And it's like, maybe there's some truth to that. He stands opposed. He stands against. He's kind of an adversary. And so, so many times when we read this, our, our first reaction, you know, we don't get past chapter two because we're so freaked out that the devil's in heaven. But it's not the devil. It is, uh, that is just a descriptive name. You know, you, you would think that maybe God would have come up with a better name to not trip everybody up so bad. But that's not who that is. And as we dig into the book of Job over the next uh, couple of weeks, I want to reveal to you what this story is real about, really about. And we're going to dig deep into his conversation with his friends and, and what the, the questions that are raised through the book of Job. Now, the book of Job, so many people think that the book of Job is about God, how he runs heaven. But the book of Job is about how God runs the world, not how he runs heaven. And they open with this very short dialogue, this very short scene in heaven, uh, and then it's very quickly over. And, the, and, and then it's, it almost seems so unimportant to the, the author that he repeats himself in the second chapter. He, he doesn't like rewrite it. It's almost like he copied and pasted it to the next chapter and then kind of added at the end some new stuff. And it's like, because that's not what the book's about. The book is about raising questions about how God runs the world. And at the end, uh, uh, chapters 41 and 42, God answers Job and talks about it. And it's super trippy and it's super crazy. And we're going to discover what Job is about and what God wants to speak to you about Job. And so what I want us to do is I wanted to clarify this and I wanted to show you how that this isn't the devil. It's just a Satan character. Now, in 1 Peter 4.12... It says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. The book of Job is about suffering. It's about Job's suffering. And it's about that he's a righteous man and he didn't deserve any of it. 
but he suffered anyway. And, and why? Why do good people, you know, we've all heard the same. We do Q&A in Ground Zero, and one of the questions that's going to pop up is, why do bad things happen to good people? And this Satan character is kind of turning on that on its head and saying, well, why should good things happen to good people? This is kind of his question. And so we kind of dive in and we dig into this. One of the mistakes we make is, is that when we think the Old Testament points to us, it leads us away from Jesus. But when we think that the Old Testament points to Jesus, it leads us to him. And we're going to dive into that, and I'm going to show you, if you've ever heard about the book of Job, if you know anything about it, I'm going to show you exactly what it's about and what God is speaking today through that book to us. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and Father, I pray that uh, you would just begin to reveal to us today these scriptures, what we've talked about, Father, that you would just show it to us. If, if we're confused, if we don't understand, if we don't know that we believe, Father, that we would go to you, that we would go to you face to face. We would cry out for you, Father, because we know that's where the real change comes. That's where the real revelation happens. Father, I pray that as we dig into the book of Job, Father God, that you are going to reveal to us uh, your will. Father God, you're going to reveal to us your love. You're going to reveal to us your plan for our lives. And you're going to show us what this book is about. And Father, I pray in the coming weeks that you speak, Father God, that we would hear your voice and we would see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.